Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message. This is the core scripture of today's teaching. This comes from Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Thank you, Lana, so much for sharing our scripture today. Well, it's good to be with you, church. My name is Jeremy Shelley. I'm the Family Life Pastor. I want to welcome you to worship this morning. Now, let me uh, open us up with a word of prayer as we begin today. Heavenly Father, uh, we invite you into this place. Stir in our hearts, we pray. Uh, we, we hope that, uh, that we will listen to your word and we will allow it to transform our lives. Speak to us. Teach us. Holy Spirit, come. Make us aware of your presence so that we can be made into the likeness of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. So I'm, I've been really thankful uh, as we've been going through this series and talking about the different practices uh, that we have for uh, growing closer to Jesus. And, and um, over the last few months, uh, pretty much all of COVID, uh, I've really felt like the Lord is, has been calling us to take some time to slow down and, and to, to look around in our lives and investigate what's working well and what may need to, to make some, we need, where we may need to make some changes and, and reconsider some stuff so that we could be better uh, followers of Jesus. And, and I think that we've done a fantastic job of exploring those practices and habits. And I've, I've sensed um, that, that, that this is a time for us to consider uh, why we should be doing all of these different practices. Today, we're going to be talking about how do we put all of these things together and really go out? Uh, to what end are we engaging with the spiritual habits and, and, and practices uh, that, that there? I mean, Ultimately, these are all different tools for our spiritual tool belt, and, and I would encourage you to, uh, to bookmark or to remember, to, to make a place in your notes or your Bibles, uh, the things that you have learned throughout this series. Uh, so um, just in case you may need some inspiration or an opportunity to re-engage with God in a, at a future date, you can come back to this series. I, I even encourage you on your computer to bookmark the, these sermons, So because uh, you know, as we go through different seasons of our life, uh, we, we ebb and flow a little bit. And we need maybe something different than what we're doing now to help us to, to continue to stay engaged with God. And so I encourage you just to, to keep, um, keep this uh, in, in that tool belt and um, um, keep pulling it up so that you can continue to grow in your spiritual journey. Many of you know um, that last August I was in a bicycle accident. 
And um, as I've been as I've been processing this particular series that we've been in, deeply formed, uh, the accident has been a little bit of a metaphor for me, and um, it's helped me to understand how I can think about my own spiritual journey. Now, I don't like to brag. Uh, but before my accident, I was what most people would call the true specimen of physical uh, health and athleticism. And uh, thank you for laughing at that. I don't feel any shame at all. Or um, I'm just kidding. No, I, no, it's, I, I, I was never. In fact, the truth is um, anything that I was doing in regards to my health was me just trying to fight uh, this mid section in my body, um, just trying to fight every bit of aging, aging that was happening to me. But um, one thing, though, as I was working out, I, I was becoming pretty accomplished as, as a bicycle rider. Um, and I realized that many of you have ridden in the Pelotonia, so what I'm saying is pretty pitiful. <laughs> um, uh, but I was regularly riding about 50 miles a week, and I really enjoyed the work. Uh, I enjoyed working out. It was fun. Uh, and I was seeing my health progress and, and then I had my accident, and I wouldn't ride my bike for another five uh, months after that. So August 15th, um, I, I had my accident, uh, but then this past January, I decided it's time for me to get back at it. And so I took my bike off the wall uh, in my garage, and I brought it downstairs into my basement and put it on the trainer. The trainer, for those of you who don't know, is a place that it keeps the bike stationary so you can ride it. And um, I put it on my trainer, and I started riding again. And, and um, by the way, riding on a trainer is difficult work. It's not fun. It's monotonous. And the only thing that usually would get me past the doldrums of, of pushing those pedals was a good podcast, something to listen to, to really encourage me and keep me driving. Uh, but now that I was five months out um, in, in, from riding my bike, I was facing this new challenge. I was officially out of shape, and what, what I used to be able to do, I could no longer do. Um, before, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, possibly 26 miles on the bike as if I was out riding around was a possibility. But now, all of a sudden, I was struggling to push out 10 minutes of work. It was exhausting, both physically and mentally. It was anguish every, every step of the way. And, um, and I, I knew, though, that if I kept at it, it would eventually get easier. Now, I'm not back to where I once was before August, uh, but I'm further along because of the regular training that I'm doing. Uh, John Ortberg, who's an author, he's a retired pastor, uh, has written that there's a distinct difference between trying and training. And he likens this idea to running a marathon. Uh, but because I like to ride a bike, um, I kind of read it differently. He says that, and I'm going to personalize this today just to make it a little bit easier for us as, as I talk about it. He, he, he says that if, if one day there was a knock on my door, and, uh, and I went to open the door, and, and at the door was, was a man from the United States Olympic Committee, and he said, Hey, Jeremy, uh, over the last few years, we've been tracking you. Every shot that you've gotten, every vaccination that you've had, every time you've gone to the doctor, we've been taking those samples, and um, we've been doing research, and we've determined that you are the perfect specimen to be on our Olympic bike riding team, road bike uh, riding team. In fact, we believe that you're one of the best candidates for this in the entire United States. Likely scenario, right? I mean, this is probably something that happens to, to well, it would happen to me. Um, and uh, no, it's not. Um, so 
Now, here's the question. So if that were to happen, if they were to come to me and say, hey, your bone structure, the way your muscle makeup is, you, you are going to be a champion, world-class rider, champion. If, if they were to say that to me, it is likely that I would probably begin a process of training in that moment. It's, it's unlikely that I would just hear that news close the door, go sit back on the couch, continue eating the potato chips that I was eating before they came to my door and, um, and flipping through uh, the, the television show that I was binging at the time. You know, just completely put off the training until the day of the race and then just show up, hop on the bike and, and uh, go for a ride. It's, it's unlikely. In fact, it would be completely uh, asinine for me to, to think that I could just not do any training but step on that bike and win the race, right? I mean, that would be, that would be idiotic. Um, no, the truth is what I would do is I would start training that day. I would go down into my basement. I would get on my bicycle, and I would start training as hard as I can. See, this is a truth that we all know. There is not an area of our lives that doesn't require practice. Any new skill that we want to excel in, we must train in order to become proficient. And when it comes to living the way of Jesus, this is true as well. We must practice the way of Jesus. Spiritual transformation is not something that just happens. We don't just wake up one day without any training and we are the best Christian possible. It's a process. Now let me be clear here. I am not for one moment saying that to be a part of the family of God requires work from us. That's not what I want you to hear today. Uh, how we, when we choose to follow Jesus, when we choose to believe in him, it's a gift of grace from God that makes us righteous. There's nothing that we can do. There's no amount of work that we can do that's going to save us and allow us to be in relationship with God. There's nothing. Um, but for us to get good at, to become a good follower of Jesus, that's when we must be training and we must practice. And, 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 um, and, and I think that, that, that we can all agree that there are some followers of Jesus Jesus, who, who are really good at it, um, and others who are not. In fact, even scripture indicates this, you know, that we move from spiritual milk or, or easy disciplines into spiritual meat, more difficult disciplines. See, this is an important distinction. Today, we're not talking about how to become a Christian. This is entirely a different message. Today is about how Christians, those people who trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior, how they, they can become better at following their Savior. So you might wonder why this is important. Uh, you, may, you may have seen or heard about um, or experienced followers of Jesus that are clearly not good at, at practicing the way of Jesus. And, and so I'm talking about those things that distinguish a Christian who allows the teachings of Jesus and the teachings from other believers to permeate the entirety of their lives rather than that person who maybe attends church or attends a small group or even is in worship with their hands raised, but then all of those teachings, all of those moments, all those things that they've heard about Jesus, they don't put them into practice. They just go out into the world and live their lives no differently than they would um, any other day. See, Jesus closed his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, with this exact point. Christians who follow in word but not deed that means that, that, that they are followers of Jesus, 
They believe in him, but they don't put his teachings into practice. They fail to apply them to their lives. Those people are foolish. Whereas those who hear them and put them into practice, those teachings, they are the wise ones. See, the outcome for the wise and the foolish is vastly different. When life becomes hard, finances fail, health deteriorates, crisis strikes, the wise who have been practicing and training in the way of Jesus can sustain the hardships. Meanwhile, the world of the foolish man collapses. Right? So this is what David Kinneman of the Barna Group calls resilient discipleship. He says, disciples who are training to become more like their teacher have the ability to withstand difficulty. And this is really what we want uh, from, the, from our community here at Quest. We want our church, our body, the folks who are here in person and online, we want those folks to be resilient disciples, applying the teachings of Jesus to their life and living them out. The Apostle Paul, he describes this life of training in, in 1 Timothy 4. He, he says this, uh, starting in verse 6. By the way, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up. Feel free to take notes. I don't know if you know this, but you're allowed to write in your Bibles. Unless it's not your Bible, then don't write in it. But um, uh, if, if you have your own, highlight, mark, make notes, do that kind of stuff. It's, it's important. It'll help you in the future when you're reading these things. 1 Timothy 4, 6 says this. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters... You will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with the godless myths of old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promises both for the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. This is why we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all people and especially to those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you were young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public teaching of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourselves wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, uh, the word train that Paul uses in this text, and you can look this up on on the Google machine that you have in your pocket. Um, uh, There's a a place you can go to Bible Hub, and you can look up the Greek Greek and all that stuff. Uh, So the the word that, that he uses here in train, in the Greek, it's gymnazo, which sounds a whole lot like gymnasium, because it is gymnasium, and um, and this is this is I mean this is honestly where we get our word uh, for gymnasium. And Paul is saying uh, the spiritual work that we should be doing is like physical training. It's every bit of hard work that we might do at the gym, right? But the end result, it's so much more worthwhile than any weights that we can lift. In fact. I, I, I don't know uh, many people who love to practice or train. People 
um, who do the hard work, they do it because they want the benefits of the training, right? You understand what I'm saying? It's grueling to do those exercises, to, to, to pedal that bike, to run those miles, but you know there's benefit on the other side of it. In fact, when I, when I moved to Ohio in 2007, I, I worked with a gentleman uh, that was truly a world-class runner. Uh, he had run in the Boston Marathon, Chicago, New York. Um, he's a long-distance running coach. And uh, running, is ju- it's just a part of who he is. And, and so one day we were talking about the races that he had been a part of and why he liked to race. I wanted to know more about it. And um, as we're talking, I, I noticed uh, that he was wearing this shirt that said, I hate running. And, and I, it, was, it was a little bit of a distraction to me as we're talking about all these marathons that, that he had been in and why he was running in them. And I asked him, I said, why, why would you wear a shirt that, that, um, that said that? Even though your life has been dedicated to, to, to so much running. And he told me, he said that, that running is grueling. It's painful. It hurts. But there's a, a sense of accomplishment that he loves uh, after he runs a race. And, and he told me that there's actually this chemical reaction that happens in the body that releases endorphins to mitigate the pain that runners experience that's enjoyable. It feels good. It's, it's known as uh, a runner's high. You know, these are all reasons why people run. For followers of Jesus, the training, the the work is of infinitely more value than any other kind of training that we can do. Paul tells us this. He says, physical training has some value, but godliness, godliness is of value in every way. These things that that, um, we've talked about over this series and deeply formed, they help us draw closer to Jesus. They help us to train in what it means to be intimate with Jesus. They help us discover this intimacy with God. And and I'll be honest with you, as as I think about what intimacy with God, the creator of the universe and everything that's in it, you know, intimacy with this man who walked the earth 2,000 years ago, or intimacy with the Holy Spirit, when I think about those things, it's it's a challenge because God is mysterious. But what I understand, too, is that as I have trained in my own spiritual journey, as I've put some of these things into practice, I have felt and I have experienced and I have known the truth of God, how he draws close to me. And I'm sure that many of you, as you have trained as followers of Jesus, have also felt him and experienced him and seen how he has worked in your life and how he's blessed and anointed it. And and I want to encourage everybody to keep on with the training because the reality is the reason that we do this yes it's intimacy with intimacy with jesus but it's so much more than just that as we become close to god and we become more like him then we can experience our world um, through his eyes we can see our place bent more towards his kingdom let me say that a different way that might make a little bit more sense as i read it Followers of Jesus want the rule and reign of Jesus here on this earth rather than some cheap knockoff or um, uh, rule and reign that might exist. When we draw close to him, when we become more like him, then we help our communities start to see him and experience him and potentially even accept him as their Lord and Savior. That's what we are called to do. Now, 
All around us, all around us, people want to make this world better. We see it all the time. With, with the explosion of social media, um, we, can, we can see all kinds of people who are, who are seeking justice for, for some kind of an evil that's been perpetrated on an, on an innocent person. It's everywhere, right? Um, uh, it's, and, and I want to be clear, when we, when we want to seek justice for evil that's been perpetrated on someone innocent, that is a righteous idea, but often it feels about as effective as a marathon runner who's never trained, trained before or a U.S. Olympic candidate who won't ride his bike until the day of the race. See, the thing is, when we hear the words of Jesus or the words of Paul, and when they call us to live righteous lives and to practice the things that Jesus taught, what they're saying is these things that you put into practice, they show you how to live like Jesus, and they are the only way to true reconciliation and justice. Anything else that we might try will fail. Everything else that we might try outside of Jesus will fail. This reminds me of uh, the great Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and his work uh, to bring about the civil rights, uh, uh, civil rights acts to our, our nation. I was reading recently about the training that the sit-in protesters underwent before they started the lunch counter protesters in 1960. Uh, protests. See, uh, the, there's this Life magazine article depicting this training. And um, this is something new that I, I just found out about, and it's fascinating. Uh, and I'm going to show you some pictures here. Uh, that depict the extent to which the protesters went through in, in, in protests. Here, here, let's flip through some of these. Here's an example of some children who are undergoing torment by having coffee thrown on them, food thrown on them. Another picture of, of some folks who are, are allowing people to dump ashes on their head to hurl epithets at them, to, to call them names and bully them. Another picture, to have smoke blown in their faces, to have horrible things, horrible things said to them. It's, it's sad, the things that they underwent, but they went through the training on purpose. Now, let me, let me read to you what um, someone said about these protests. This is a quote from the article. The key to the sit-in is non-violence, but it takes a tough inner fiber neither to flinch nor retaliate when occasionally hooligans, and I would probably use a different word for that, when hooligans pick on the sitters in to discourage them or to provoke them to some violent act. Fearing the stress on sensibilities and temper to which a sit-in could be subjected, the high school and college students of Petersburg, Virginia, studied at a unique but punishing extracurricular school before they attempted sitting in so that they would be able to undergo um, this kind of torture and torment and not be, uh, to not have an angry, visceral reaction. Their training was not something that they wanted to experience, but they knew it was necessary because if they broke... If they became enraged, that meant that they had failed. Martin Luther King Jr., he knew the way of Jesus. In fact, as he helped in this training, he would teach the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And, and he, he would allow his leadership to guide these protests, knowing that Jesus' way was the only way to bring about true change. MLK said of the protests, Nonviolence is a powerful and just Weapon which cuts without wounding and ennobles the man who wields it. It is a sword that heals. 
Nonviolence is an absolute commitment to the way of love. Think about what Jesus said about loving your enemies. Love is not an emotional bash. Love is not an empty sentimentalism. It is the active outpouring of one's whole being into the being of another. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Recently, I was talking to our uh, middle and high school students about love, about this idea. I was teaching out of 1 Corinthians 13 where it says, Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not easily angered, it endures all things, etc., etc. You're familiar with this scripture, I'm sure. Um, One of the things I told our students is that you can take that word love and you can supplement Jesus in there because God is love, Jesus is love, love does these things. And this is ultimately what MLK is saying right here, that Jesus or love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. That's the point of this. When we train in the way of Jesus, we learn to endure difficulty and hardship. And ultimately, we show the people or the the situation around us, the circumstances in our lives, what it means to be like Jesus. MLK, he was using the way of Jesus to shape our nation, to shape our world into a better reflection of the kingdom of God. He quoted Jesus again and again as he was training these brave men and women so that they could change the face of of our nation. Every movement that seeks to make the world better but refuses to acknowledge the ways of Jesus and pattern after the ways of Jesus will fail, every single one of them. So when we pick up these practices that we've been talking about, um, these habits of faith, what we're doing is we're training ourselves to be more like Jesus. And when we are confronted with the brokenness around us, then we have the opportunity to act like Jesus in love and bend our world to the kingdom of God. Just imagine what it might be like for every person in this room and every person online who's following Jesus and training in his way to go out into the world as little Jesuses, demonstrating the love, enduring hardship, all so that Christ might get the glory and more people might come to faith in him. And then those new people who are new Christians might train in Jesus and go out and do the same thing. And the exponential work of the kingdom might change our world forever. Amen. This is what we are called to. See, my fear right now is that so many Christians have stopped training the way that they are called to train. And, and so by that, they're not ready to face the distorted world that's around them. Maybe even worse than that, Christians are consuming so much Christian teaching teaching all the time, but they're failing to put it into practice and have so deceived themselves into believing that they are becoming more like Jesus. James 1.22 and following says, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. See, we we live in a world right now where the very best teachings of Jesus are at our fingertips. 
We've got podcasts. We've got sermons. We've got all kinds of teachings online. Whatever we want, thanks to the internet, it's wonderful. There's a, there's a, a wide variety, variety of spectacular teachings from the very best teachers that our world has to offer. Now, the question that we have to ask ourselves if we're listening to those is, are we allowing those teachings to change us? Are we listening to the teachings of Jesus and obeying them? See, I fear that as we consume this information as entertainment, we do it more than teaching. We listen to things because we think it's interesting, it's good knowledge, it's wonderful for us, but then we don't ever put it to practice. In fact, there's really no level of accountability right now for us as we listen to those things. You know, do we actually practice them out? We will not be judged by how many wonderful sermons about Jesus that we listen to. We will, though, be judged by how we apply that to our lives and allow it to transform us. We have to be people who not only hear the word, but do the word. See, when we, when we, when we just hear the word and, and don't allow it to transform, transform our lives, what we're doing is we're creating a pattern of deception rather than discernment. We are deceived when we listen to the teachings of Jesus, but do not put them into practice. This is exactly what Jesus was talking about. In Luke 6, he's recorded uh, 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 of asking his disciples this very question. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say. He then continues on and talks about the wise and the foolish builder again. See, we practice the way of Jesus so that we might experience intimacy with him. And in doing these things, we become more like Jesus and we have the ability to establish then his kingdom on earth by his authority. So as we close today, I want to try an experiment with you guys, if you're willing to do this. And this is about practice. Um, it's really about allowing our relationship with Jesus to invade our lives outside of us. So here's what I want to try. Um, I want to challenge you this week, all week long, to intentionally listen to the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to prompt you to action. So, so you might hear uh, the Holy Spirit say, hey, I want you to go have this conversation with this person. Or I want you to, to pray for this coworker. Or, hey, I want you to give your money to this, um, this ministry or, or this individual or whatever. Or I want you to cook a meal for this person. However the Holy Spirit prompts you, I encourage you to act on it immediately. I don't know. Maybe it's not the Holy Spirit that's prompting you, but part of the practice is learning how to discern what is the voice of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit sound like to you so that you can fully follow him well? Now, here's the thing. You may, you may feel like the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do something and you go out and do it and you, you discover, wow, that wasn't the Holy Spirit. That was bad pizza that I had last night. Um, I, I, it happens to me all the time. That's okay. That's okay. Being faithful, trying to to step in the way of Jesus and do the things that he did means being risky. One of the vineyard values that we have here is that faith, um, faith is spelled R-I-S-K, that we risk it, you know, as the Holy Spirit prompts you. Step in that. But here's, here's one more thing that I want you to do with that. As you're, as you're stepping in that prompting and as, you're, as you're, you're following through with those things, I want you to write it down, journal it. Send me an email too. 
I encourage you to let me know those stories because as we are training, as a community of believers are training in the way of Jesus, it's encouraging to hear how others are succeeding in this training. It encourages us. It emboldens us. It allows us to also continue in that training. Many of you, um, you know, you work out a lot and it's encouraging to hear the success of others as they're working out. That's what I'm saying. Let me know about that so we can share those stories of how um, you responded to the Holy Spirit and you saw his good work um, uh, bless someone else. I was talking to a friend of mine who goes to this church uh, just last week about this. And he was telling me a story of um, someone who, he had changed churches. He had moved away from, from his hometown and, and um, he was in a new town. He hadn't quite found uh, a new church to attend yet. And, uh, and, but he felt the Holy Spirit prompt him to continue tithing. You know, he, in, in his spirit, he said, the, the Lord was saying to continue tithing, but he didn't have a church to tithe to. He had no place to give that money. And, and so what he did was he established a bank account where he could put that money into it, where he could tithe into it. Month after month, as he was looking for a new church to attend, he kept tithing his money to this bank account. Month after month, putting it in, putting it in, putting it in. And uh, it took him a long time to find a church, but he was still in a place where, where he couldn't find a church where he could give it to. And so he called up his brother, who happened to also be a pastor, and he said, hey, I need your help in this. I need you to help me. I've got this bank account that's full of money that I've been tithing to, and I, I don't know um, where to give it as a resource. And, and his brother said, actually, I know someone who needs that money, someone who we've been praying for. And listen to me when I say this. To the dollar that that man had put into that bank account was the need of this other person that he just met. To the dollar. Amen. When we follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit, it's not random. He might use us to bless someone else, to heal someone else, to encourage someone else. How you work through Jesus or how Jesus works through you can be a blessing to other people. So I encourage you to step, follow that prompting, write it down, let me know about it. We're going to continue to worship, and so I'm going to invite you to stand back up. Let me pray for us, and, uh, and then we will um, continue to worship. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you teach us ways that we can live. That we're not wandering around without a clue, but instead you give us teachings things that we can do to follow your ways. I pray that as we step into that, as we train in your ways, Lord, that we might not only become more intimate with you, we might know more of who you are, but we also might bless the people around us. So come, Holy Spirit. Speak to us. Speak to our hearts. Prompt us to do your work as we go out of this place so that we can bless others, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org give. 
May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.